Let me ask you a question this morning. This may seem like a question you wouldn't ask here in a church of all places, but this is a question that we need to answer, not just as a group, but as individuals. Are you a follower of Christ? Are you a follower of Christ? Now, I think most of us here would probably say yes. But I want to challenge our thinking over the next several... I'm not talking about... When I ask that question, I'm not talking about do you go to church. I'm not talking about your parents or grandparents Christians. I'm not talking about do you raise your hand at the end of a sermon. Did you raise your hand at the end of a sermon one time? Did you come down and talk to a pastor? Did you say... Did you make a decision? I'm not talking about uh, do you own three or more Bibles. I'm not talking about uh, um, did you grow up going to VBS... And only those who went to VBS know exactly what VBS is, Vacation Bible School. Or did you go to church camp somewhere one time and have an emotional experience which led you to make some decision? I'm, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not, I'm, I'm, uh, do you, you know, is your ringtone a worship song? Does that make you a follower of Christ? I'm not talking about any of those things. I want us to define, in a sense, define some things that's important because... What if all of life came down to this one question? Am I a follower of Christ? Am I a follower of Christ? What if there really is a heaven and a hell and where I spend eternity comes down to the answer to that one question? We better be clear about the answer. And, and the question then asks, well, how do I determine, how do you start to determine your relationship with Jesus? Well, I want to share with you for the next six weeks, we're going to challenge each other, myself included, to answer a question that's so important. How do you define, how do you have the DTR moment? You know what a DTR is? Define the relationship. Any of you ever dated? Okay, I'm getting, some of you did it one time or another. The rest of you, I don't know how you got married. Um, maybe it was an arranged marriage, I don't know. Maybe you live in that kind of culture. You came here from somewhere else. I don't know what the deal is. But if you ever were dating and if you're not there yet, if you're younger and you're doing that, there'll come a point in life when you have to have a DTR talk. A DTR talk, to find a relationship talk, is that, and hopefully it doesn't come too soon. I will just be honest with you. I, wasn't very, I was not very good at this whole DTR thing. My wife can tell you that. Because uh, when we first started dating, uh, she's, she's five years younger than I am, okay? And she was a good friend of one of my sisters, my middle sister. And she was at my house all the time. And so I kind of ignored her for a long time. And then all of a sudden, I just started noticing her. And so we went out on our first date. We'd actually known each other for a good while. And I'd seen a lot of her. And so went on our first date. And we were in a car. And, and, and it was my sister's car, which broke down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I thought, what a great opportunity. And... uh you know, and I, the car heated up and broke down, and I heated up. And, and, then, uh, and then I made the dumbest remark of all time. I told her, you know, first date, I love you. <laughs> and the bad thing was she didn't tell me that back. <laughs> I'm honest with you, folks. I told you how dumb I was in, re- in dating relationships, you know. And the thing was is that it took her a long time to reciprocate, which she finally did. Usually you don't define the relationship that soon in a relationship. Usually you make wait a little while, but there comes a time when you ask the question, you know, where is this relationship going? 
Because after a while, if you're dating somebody and you think it's going to go somewhere, you have to define the relationship. And sometimes guys will run when girls will say, well, where is this relationship going? Do you see it going anywhere with this, you know? We have to define the relationship. And so what we're going to do over the next six weeks is define our relationship with Jesus Christ. We're going to have the DTR talk with, with ourselves about our relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, this is not something that's easy because I've already been struggling with it. Not that I don't, I believe I'm a follower. I, I, know, I know that I'm a follower. But the reality is in every area of my life, sometimes I struggle with, do, am I really following Christ in that area? For some of us, it'll be redetermining, you know, am I giving Christ everything in all areas of my life? For others here, it'll be determined thing. Well, really, I'm just a fan of Christ because the book, the book that we're using, uh, that this idea came from, is a book called "Not a Fan." I picked up this book about a year ago and was reading, began to read it in the middle of the, you know, when we were doing the story, and uh, read it, and, and, and I never remembered this, but um, I never remembered this, but uh, when I was in in Florida visiting our, my in-laws, my father's a retired pastor, and we were having a conversation back last February. He told me it happened, but I don't remember it. And he said, you know, and I must have told him about this book, Not a Fan. I guess we had a conversation about what are you reading, you know, something like that. And so that was the deal. And so he, he actually went and picked it up. And when I saw him just a couple of weeks or about a week and a half ago in Virginia, as we went to visit my family and Vicky's family and we were visiting there and, and talking, he looked at me and he said this to me. He said, that book you told me about was incredible. Here's an 81-year-old pastor, ex, you know, ex, well, you're never an ex-pastor. You're just kind of like, you know, whatever. And uh, he said, he said, are you going to do anything with that book? And I said, well, you were getting ready to do a whole series. He said, man, he said, if I was, a, if I was pastoring a church again, that would be the first thing I'd talk about to everybody. So I give you the, you know, the recommendation of my father-in-law who has pastored for basically all his life and has led people to Christ all his life, and believes that, he said, this is important. He said, this is something we need to talk about. Because, and, and let me to be honest with you, this is not going to be easy because uh, we have to ask ourselves some hard questions. And then the book, what it talks about, it says, you know, it's called Not a Fan. It's, it asks the question, are you a fan of Christ? Or are you a follower of Christ? Are you a fan of Christ or a follower of Christ? There is a difference. You know what a fan is? A fan is described as an enthusiastic admirer. An enthusiastic admirer. You can be a fan of Christ and come to church every week and be an enthusiastic admirer of Christ. You just kind of get excited about him, get pumped up. It's kind of like football fans. I'm not going to talk about teams, but I went to a football game two weeks ago. High school football game. The team had lost its first two games. The stands were half full. They were. It doesn't take long to, to recognize who are the enthusiastic fans and who are the real fans, you know. The reality is it's real easy when you're a fan, enthusiastic admirer of somebody, to get all excited about somebody occasionally, but not really have a deep, deep concern for whatever it is that we are excited about. But I want to share with you that how we can know, how can we start to determine our relationship with Jesus is really simple because if we look at Scripture and we're totally honest about what Scripture says, Scripture seriously points out the issue that Jesus many times just simply draws a line in the sand. 
Remember one time he talked about, he used the illustration, he never calls it fans and followers, but he draws it, he calls it sheeps and goats. He said, there's the sheeps and there's the goats. And he said, they're two different groups of people. Another time, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, which is really a description of how we live the Christian life as a follower of Christ. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this in Matthew 7, verses 13. He says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. He says to us very clearly that the way that he, he wants us to go, the way of a follow, is the narrow way. It's a narrow way. And he says it in other places as well. He talks about himself as a gate through which he enters. In John 10, 9, it says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. And in John 14, 6, he says, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except where? Through me. And we look at that and we're going like, Jesus is so narrow-minded. Isn't Jesus, I mean, the only way to come to God is through Jesus? We don't live in that kind of world. We live in a world where everybody wants to like just, just, just let's embrace everything. Let's not have any focus on anything. Let's just embrace everything. You know, there's multiple ways to, to God. But that's not what Jesus says. See, when it comes to salvation, he is very specific. He is very specific about what, how we, what, what, what it means. You know, I, one of the things that... Uh, I know Chris likes math. You like math, Chris? You told me one time if you weren't a pastor, you'd be a math teacher. Is that right? Bless you. I would never do that. <laughs> but the reality is, is my son likes math a lot too. You know math, the thing about math that I always hated? There's only one right answer. Right? There's no approximation. You know, I got it close, teacher. I was within 5%. Doesn't work in math. I found that out. You, you know, you go through all the steps, whatever the math is, low math, high math, whatever it is, in between math, you know. And the thing is, it's only one right answer. There are no approximate answers. See, many people, I believe, are counting on an approximate gospel. They, they say, you know, I believe in Jesus. I own a Bible. I live a pretty good life. I even go to church most Sundays. Generally speaking, I think the odds are pretty good that I'm going to get into heaven. But Jesus says, that's not it. He's saying to us that the way is much narrower than that. There is no approximate gospel. You just kind of do a few things and hope that you'll get there. There's only one way, and that way, Jesus says, is through Jesus Christ himself. You know, when he talked about that, uh, the, the narrow gate and the wide gate, it's kind of a picture of just like a little skinny gate here and this, this gigantic, like, like big old gate in another place. He said, that's the two ways to life. And he says, you're trying to go through the narrow gate. It's kind of like this little skinny gate. And when you go through a narrow gate, you sometimes you almost got to squeak way through it. You can't take anything with you through the narrow gate, can you? You can't take any baggage with you. But the wide gate, you can go through the wide gate and just take any old thing you want to with you because there's plenty of room. See, we want to believe in the broad road that we can get through and carry all our baggage with us. We can kind of have Jesus. You see, the broad road is Jesus and. And you just add whatever you want to to it. But the narrow road is Jesus only. That's what he's saying in Scripture. And the sad thing, if you look back at Matthew seven fourteen, which we just looked at a while ago, what did it say? How many people will find their way through the narrow gate? He says, only a few will find it. Why? 
Why? Not, not that Jesus doesn't offer the invitation to everyone, but why? Because the road can often be confusing. The road can often be confusing. In Matthew 7, uh, verses 15, and following that, those other passages, this is what he says. Jesus says after he says, only a few will find. He says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus by their fruit you will recognize them. Not everyone who, then he says this, this is important. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? You're going like, well, that doesn't apply to me. I don't do any of those things. But we say, well, did I go to church? Didn't I tithe? Didn't I, didn't I read my Bible regularly? Did I do all those things, God? Doesn't that count for something? Then in verse 23, he says, Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. See, Jesus is saying to us clearly in Scripture, multiple places, that there's a difference between being a fan of God, an enthusiastic admirer who just does a few of the things. You know, we have the banners, we have the bumper stickers, we have, we have the books, we have the stats, we have all those things. It's a difference between being a fan and being a follower. Because we want to say, Jesus and, Jesus and, Jesus, I want to go through, Jesus and, I want to go through, and Jesus, I want you to take into account my accomplishments, my religious works. And Jesus is saying there's going to be a lot of surprises in heaven. There's going to be a lot of surprises, a lot of surprised people. A lot of people who were simply, who thought they were good enough, but they were simply fans. They did a lot of good things. They were enthusiastic admirers. But that does not make you a follower of Christ. There will be a lot of, of, of people that are surprised. But I want to give you good news. You don't have to be. Because the Bible is clear. And over the next six weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to define clearly from Scripture. And I, I want to encourage you to do something. Not just come on Sunday mornings. That's going to be important. That's a catalyst for the week. But also, if you're not connected with a small group, get in a small group. And small group leaders, if you're not sure yet if you're going to use the video and you go like it's 40 bucks for our group and you're better use it. I, I had a bunch of guys yesterday morning. Uh, we have our, we have, we always a day ahead of everybody because I'm going like, I'm not going to teach on, you know, teach one thing today and yesterday do something else because I, I can't do that. I, my mind doesn't work that way. So all of our guys yesterday started the first week of the story in our group and we saw the first video. Here's a group of 10 or 12 guys. I can't remember how many sitting around. And I didn't look at them because nobody looked at each other while we was watching the video for 30 minutes. But I've never heard so many guys sniffling. It's powerful. It'll touch your heart and it'll touch, hopefully, your, it'll go from here to here and here to here. And it'll begin to that. And also I encourage you to pick up the book and read it because all those things, all those elements together will begin to challenge you to ask the question, am I a fan or am I a follower? I love a poem that I read a while back. Uh, it's called Judge Not. It's kind of about this thing about people being confused about who's in heaven and who's not. I love it. It says this. It says, I was shocked, confused, bewildered as I entered heaven's door. Not by the beauty of it all, by the lights or its decor, but it was the folks in heaven 
who made me sputter and gasp. The thieves, the liars, the sinners, the alcoholics, the trash. There stood the kid from the seventh grade who swiped my lunch money twice. Next to him was my old neighbor who never said anything nice. Herb, who was always thought, thought, uh, Herb, who I always thought was rotting away in hell, was sitting pretty on cloud nine looking incredibly well. And I nudged Jesus and said, what's the deal? I would love to hear your take. How'd all these sinners get up here? God must have made a mistake. And why is everyone so quiet, so somber? Give me a clue. Hush, child, he said. They're all in shock. No one thought they'd see you. <laughs> I love that poem. Isn't that great? I don't like poetry to like that one, you know. I thought, I thought it was good. But the thing is that there's no reason. I want to give you good news. There's no reason to be surprised. Because we have to be honest, and I want to be honest with you for the next several weeks, and more honest than I've ever been probably. I've always tried to be honest, okay? But sometimes we try to sugarcoat the gospel. We try to grab people and say, hey, you need to come into Jesus. And we try to look at it from a perspective. We're like a salesman sometimes in church. And we're trying to encourage people to take a step, but we don't always ask them to count the cost. And Jesus says there is a cost. The Bible is clear, though. You know, as, as we read in, in the Bible, for instance, in John chapter 6, verse 2, uh, Jesus was, was out and he was teaching. And it says this, and he saw a great crowd of people were following him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. It says that sometimes there was this crowd. Jesus was able to track, Jesus himself was able to track the crowd, but for the wrong reason. It says they were following him because they, because they, he'd performed miracles. Also, there was another time where, in, in, in Scripture as well, where they were following him because of the free food. Remember the loaves and the fishes thing, you know? And they were all excited about Jesus, you know, because of free food and miracles and all kinds of things. And basically, Jesus knew this. He knew they were fans. They were just simply enthusiastic admirers of his. And, and Jesus begins, if you read the rest of John chapter 6, he begins to challenge them to a deeper relationship. He said, it's not about the miracles. It's not about the free food. It's about a deep relationship where you trust me with your whole life in every area of your life. He began to ask him, why do you come? Why do you come to follow me? What is your because? What is your because? What is your, why do you come? Why, what's the because? What's the reason you come? And they came because of the free food and because, because of the miracles. But Jesus says, you know, today we're going like, you know, nobody would do that today. You know, none of us come because we like the free coffee or you sing the songs you like or, you know, we entertain your kids for an hour to give you a break. What's your because? Is it because you desire a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ? Is that your because? That's the only legitimate reason to come. You know, it says at the end of chapter 6, it's really interesting the number it is too. Chapter 6 verse 2 begins with, they followed him because of the healing and of the sick. And then he talks them and challenges them. At the end of chapter 6, chapter 6 verses 66, so it's John 666. It says, from that time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. So he described the difference between the broad gate and the narrow gate there. And a lot of people didn't want to follow him because they said, oh, this is way too narrow-minded. This is not enough. Now, let me, let me just be honest with you. You may begin your Christian walk. You may come into Great Oaks. You may 
begin to experience your Christian walk because of what Jesus can do for you. And there's, there's fine with that when you begin your Christian walk. But let me explain something to you. There needs to be a point when you have the DTR talk where you define the relationship and you ask yourself the hard question, am I trusting Christ with all of my life or am I simply an enthusiastic admirer? I come to church on Sunday mornings and I, and, and I sing the songs and I raise my hands, but the rest of the week Jesus has nothing to do with my life. Let me give you a, uh, let, me, let me say this. Jesus, for many of us, we're going like, Savior, great, man, I want him as my Savior. But Lord, eh, not really sure about that one. It's a little dif- different, a little different. See, we want to follow Jesus closely enough that we get all the benefits of the relationship so often without even the sacrifice or the commitment. And there is sacrifice and commitment if you follow Jesus Christ. I've got to be honest with you. But it's worth it. Let me give you a biblical definition of a follower. This is the verse we're going to use throughout this whole series. It's in, it's in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And this is what Jesus says. It says, whoever wants to be my disciple, my follower, a disciple is a follower, must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Deny self. Not, it's not just saying no to self. It's actually saying not even, it's not even acknowledging ourselves. It's saying like, you know, I'm not only second, I'm just not even on the page. That's what it says when we say that we deny ourselves. That's what the, the Greek there says in a, in a real strength uh, struggle. And I struggle with this sometimes because I have to ask myself, you know, are there areas in my life where I have to not denied self? And you know how to define what that is? Let me give you an example. I gave it to my, the men in the men's group yesterday. You know, sometimes I have to ask myself, what are the things that I worry about? <laughs> start thinking about them right now. You're already thinking about them. I don't even have to ask you to start thinking about them. You can't quit thinking about them. And I, and I was just, I just confessed to my men's group yesterday, there's some stuff in my life right now I'm just overwhelmed with. And I worry about them. I'll, I'll just be honest with you, right now, our, our whole life as far as a family is in turmoil. Not because of anything horribly bad, but just because of change. I mean, a few months ago, my son, who's married and got graduated from college, and he's been living close by, and we've had a relationship with him for, for months and months and years and years and years, and, and we love to have that relationship with him. He got a job with Edward Jones. And he's in training right now, and, and they had to pick a place where they're going to eventually live and, and, and set up an office and everything. And so sometime he's in training in St. Louis right now, and sometime in the future, sometime in February, March of this coming year, he's, he and his wife are going to be moving to Knoxville, Tennessee, and setting up an office there. It's eight and a half hours drive, eight hours and 27 minutes by Google Maps. Okay? And then, then the other struggle we have, and this is probably... I don't want to say this in a bad way, but I'll just say it anyway. The other struggle that we have is, is our daughter and, and our son-in-law and our two, grand, our two grandkids live here or have been living here. And four and a half, five months ago, my son-in-law got laid off from a job and has been searching for a job for a long time through, through all kinds of stuff. My daughter has a, had a solid job here. And, but after a period of time, they realized that just nothing was coming up that, was, you know, that could actually afford for them to, to live here. And so they began to look elsewhere. And uh, as would have it, Providence, God's direction, who knows? Um, my daughter had actually applied at a job in Knoxville, Tennessee. 
back months ago because I went to college there and uh, still have friends there. And she actually accepted a job as, uh, in a uh, counseling cl- clinic for women there. It's a really good job. And uh, they, she starts her new job tomorrow. My son-in-law, though, is still looking for jobs there. He went with her, and he's uh, interviewing or hopefully interviewing for jobs and making connections, and they still got to sell their house here. So what, what am I struggling with right now? You know, my kids got to sell their house. Anybody need a house in Washington? Four-bedroom, two-bath, really nice, good, good price, Devonshire area. Okay, just let you know. Networking here. If you know of anybody in Knoxville, Tennessee that has a good job, you know, uh, you know, had any connections there? Let me know. I'm, I'm serious, and I and I struggle with that. And you know, and then the bigger, maybe a bigger issue for my wife and I is our grandkids. We watch them every Friday, all day long. And so right now we have them for the next three or four or five days, and we don't know how long they'll be here. They'll be here until Jeremy gets a, a job or they sell their house, one of the two. And then they're eight and a half hours away. And so I struggle with, and I began to realize I was trying to, I, I just agonize over that. But you know why I agonize over it? Because I've not given it over to God. I mean, I can still think about it. I can still try to help him. But, you know, if I constantly, if I really trust God, God has helped us every step of the way. He brought us here. And I think he's directed us eventually back to Knoxville, Tennessee, for some strange reason. But the reality is, is that what do you worry about? What do you worry about? That's the area, if you're a follower even, that's the area of your life where we've not given it over to God fully. See, it's not by putting ourselves at the center that we find fulfillment and happiness. It's by putting Jesus at the center of everything. So often we've replaced this invitation of Jesus to come and deny self with come and satisfy yourself or come and fulfill yourself or come and find personal happiness or get everything you want, you want your way. And that isn't necessarily wrong. It's just not what it means to follow Jesus. These are byproducts. It is by putting Jesus at the center that I realize that all these things come. And we're going to be talking about this over the next several weeks. Some of the sermon titles and some of the focus is going to be this. There is no forgiveness without repentance. There's no forgiveness without repentance. There is no salvation without surrender. You can't just simply say, Jesus, come and not, and not surrender to him. There is no life without death. You can't have got to die to self. That's what the Bible says. There's no believing without committing. See, we have this idea that we can just believe in our head and that's all that we need. And Jesus says, no. Believing and commitment are tied together. It's not just about a decision. It's about a commitment to follow. Luke says it this way in Luke 14. And we're going to end with this. He says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build it and wasn't able to finish or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able to, with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. And then he says this in verse 33. In the same way, if we've not counted the cost, in the same way those who, of you who do not give up everything you have cannot, underline that, cannot, 
be my disciples. What's that mean? <laughs> Just what it says. Just what it says. See, Jesus is not a salesman. There is no fine print. There is no hidden agenda. Jesus says it's straightforward. He says this. This is what he says in that verse. He says, do not promise to follow Jesus unless you understand the cost and are willing to pay it. So I would challenge you as I've challenged myself. Are you a fan or are you a follower? Define the relationship because it's the most important thing you'll ever do. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.